God. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. 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 The Sunday school class was going on. And the teacher was talking to all the children and explaining to them about how God created everything, including human beings, and said, you know, Eve actually came from Adam's side. They took a rib from Adam and created him a wife, named her Eve, and Eve was his helpmate. Little Johnny thought about that and went home, and later on in the week, his mother walked into the living room little Johnny was laying down on the couch holding his side hurting real bad she said son what's wrong he said I've got a terrible pain in my side I think I'm gonna have a wife (laughs) Uh, well you can take that wherever you want to take that one I guess you know Uh, I'm glad my wife is not a pain in my side (laughs) Uh, praise the Lord grab your Bibles let me get into the Word of God today here with you in this adult Bible class good to have everybody with us today and already feel the presence of the Lord I mean I don't know how people go about going to church service if they don't feel God's presence there I'm glad he ministers to us in this place Um, Turn with me, if you would, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11. And while you're turning there, I want to tell you a little something about kind of where this lesson is um, deriving from. Uh, Last week, we had a a beautiful nursing home service over here at Randolph County. And uh, uh, I was just leading the service. Brother Glenn Bishop spoke in that particular service and uh, did a wonderful job. And... uh, while I was talking, I was talking about heaven and how wonderful it's going to be. And I said, you know, not everybody's going to go. Not everybody's going to go to heaven. And one of the residents there, sweet elderly lady we've known for a long time, her eyes got real big and she said, why not? And she just was shocked that not everybody was going to heaven. And uh, I, I began to explain just a little bit, didn't want to go too long uh, I was not the preacher that day, but I thought, you know what, Uh, we need to talk about this a little bit. And it's kind of brought to mind, you know, there's a lot of people in this world. That is a that is a common belief that everybody's just going to heaven. You know, you get there your way. I get there my way. You know, there's signs out in everybody's yard. Pick a church, any church, you know, and all that kind of stuff. No, you need to pick a church that teaches and preaches the word of God. Not with not withholding anything, not sugarcoating anything, not being mean about it. I don't believe it's ever appropriate for a preacher to get up and just lamb blast the people out of anger. But the Bible tells us to preach the truth in love, right? Preach the truth in love. And that's what I want uh, to take place this morning in this uh, adult Bible class. Second Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11. Paul writes, O Corinthians, we have spoken openly to you. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted by your own affections. Now, in return for the same, I speak as to children, which that tells us a little something about the congregation there. He had to speak to them and make it simple, make it 
as if they were new believers. You also be open. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement had the temple of God with idols? Now, I know what's going through somebody's mind right now. Well, Jesus sat with sinners. Well, Jesus went out and he, he did all those things. Jesus absolutely loved the sinner. He absolutely strove to be with them, but he, he may have gone to them to be where they were at, but he never went to them to stay with them where they were at. It was always about bringing them out of their problem, out of their sin. Okay? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them. Thank God for that. And walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. I want to be a part of that group right there. I want him to be my God and I want him to call me one of his. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Chapter 7, verse 1, the last portion of Scripture I want to read in your hearing this morning. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Amen. Would you put your Bibles down? Let's just ask the Lord to bless this lesson today and speak to our hearts. God, we ask you right now, Lord, to come into this place. Jesus, our hearts are simply the, the, the field. God, they're the ground that the seeds will fall into today of your word. God, and it is up to us, God, to make sure that our hearts are prepared to receive your word. God, I pray that you would help me, God, as we bring the word forward. God, to do it in a measure of love, God, but also let there be truth. God, fullness of your truth. Help me, God, in the name of Jesus to make no errors today. God, God, but to speak your word in love and truth in Jesus' name. And would you say amen? amen? What one of us hasn't been enticed as a child by our parents uh, of a promise of a treat or some sort of reward for good behavior? Now, the flip side of that, uh, I can also remember those times mostly coming from my mother, you know, well, if, if you behave while we're in the store, maybe I'll let you have a treat. Or if you, uh, if you don't act up over here, uh, when we go in front of all these, uh, guests, uh, you know, maybe there'll be something, I'll do something nice for you or I'll take you someplace. But then on the other side of that was my father, you know, uh, he didn't, as far as I can remember, never uh, offer me rewards for being good. And, and it was quite the opposite, actually. I, it was uh, a failure to comply would have its consequences. Anybody had a dad like that? <laughs> Son, you act up. And, and you're not going to, you may not have any teeth in order to eat a candy bar that your mom would buy you. 
Now, he would never mean like that. I'm, I'm going above and beyond, but I'm just trying to paint the picture here. My father was one that would uh, always make me comply, and there would be a consequence uh, of failing to heed his words. Our God will judge sin. There will come a time, as a matter of fact, he has to judge sin because his word tells us that. I love the meme that, that's been going around. I don't know if it's a meme or, or more of a quote that I've seen. Somebody maybe at some conference just said this, and sometimes when somebody says something that really grasps uh, our attention, people will begin to uh, put it out. Uh, occasionally there will be a quote goes out on our, our uh, Facebook page. Somebody here will put a quote out that somebody says here. And I, I always enjoy those. But the, the meme or the quote that I've seen recently uh, rings, rings so true in my spirit. It said, God is not who you think he is. A lot of people have their own perception of what God is. God is not who you think he is. God is who his word says he is. Because people that don't know his word, they can make God to be in whatever form they want him to be. They can make him have whatever personality that they want him to have and be however loving or judgmental that they deem him to be. And we can be so far off of what is really true that the only way that we can really know and understand what God really is to us is to go to his word and take his word right there as it is written for us to know and to understand his word tells us who he is he's not just who I want him to be or who I think he is or who I've been told that he is he is who his word says he is and so one day God will judge sin but he is also the Bible says a rewarder of those who diligently seek him and so therefore the question remains which category are we in are we in the category that says I'm going to make God out to be whatever I want him to be and make him out to be a God that, that allows me to do whatever I feel like doing or am I going to go to his word and find out what his personality really is am I going to find out what he loves and what he hates and then live my life according to what his word tells me that he either rejects or accepts I've got no further to take you than to go back to the book of Genesis with two brothers. And God says, I demand a certain sacrifice. And the two brothers both bought him sacrifices from their own lifestyles. They had two different, very different lifestyles. And the one brought uh, God the thing that God had required. But the other said, you know what? I'm going to go out and I'm going to bring an offering, a sacrifice of what I do in my lifestyle. And God said, you know what? I will accept the offering that I that I asked for, but I will reject the sacrifice that I did not ask for. Just because we sacrifice something to God, just because we make an offering to God, doesn't mean that God has to receive that offering or that sacrifice. And that's why the Word of God, if you go on to read it, says to obey is better than to sacrifice. 
The greatest form of worship that any human being can ever give God is not to sacrifice everything, to write the biggest check, to do some great thing in order to have their name on a plaque or written on a wall somewhere. But the greatest form of worship that we can have is obedience to God's Word. The greatest reward that we will ever receive comes from a God who cannot lie. Well, everybody wants to live in heaven. Makes Disney look lame, you know? I mean, <laughs> heaven's going to be awesome. You know, everybody wants to talk about heaven, and, and everybody wants to go to heaven. And I love what Brother Sam Emery said a few years back when he said, heaven is going uh, to be a bargain at any price that we have to pay. It wouldn't matter if we gave up everything. That's what the lesson was about a, a week or two about the, the treasure found in the field. He went out and he sold everything to get the treasure that, that he'd found in the field. Why? Because he realized the value of the treasure was so much greater than anything he already owned. But we will strive to hang on to material things and we'll strive to hold on to things that, that are not going to last us beyond our last breath and we will ignore the very thing that will help us to make it all the way into the streets of gold and the gates of pearl and, and being where Jesus is for all of eternity. Why is it that our mindset doesn't allow us sometimes to realize that nothing down here is going to last us very long, that we need to put our treasure in heaven where moth and rust cannot corrupt them. When I was a kid, I had the great fortune of, uh, fortune of having grandparents that lived on a small working farm, a couple hundred acres, not a big farm by any stretch of the imagination. And I can remember things. Now, my kids have never had, my two girls are sitting here with us today, uh, and they, as far as I know, have never had fried chicken that didn't come out of a package or, or out of a frozen bag somewhere or something like that. You know, they've never had that experience. As a matter of fact, if I asked them, they'd probably say, oh, yuck, you know. I, uh, but there is something about fresh chicken. I have had the, the, the privilege of growing up in a family and and living in a time and an era and in the right location to have the right grandparents to where I sat down to supper time one evening and I was eating uh, chicken, fresh fried chicken that earlier that day had been clucking out in the yard. <laughs> Wasn't that the... Yep. I didn't even get to say goodbye. You know, we had cows and we had pigs and and uh, they weren't pets. We named them things, you know, so we didn't get too attached. Grandpa wouldn't let us name our pets anything that would, you know, make us too sad, you know. So he let us name them things like you can name that cow Tasty, you know. <laughs> you can name that pig Fritter, you know, Pork Fritter. Anybody else see that video that was going around not too long ago? It was a newsreel report that uh, uh, went viral on the Internet. and It was about a pig that had lost its back legs, and, and they put some contraption on the back of it. It had little wheels, and that little pig was just rolling around, you know, uh, with the two front uh, paws going 90 to nothing, and, and the back wheels was just following him right ever, wherever he went. And, and, and the uh, newscaster uh, got so tickled because they had named that pig. It had a, a first name, a middle initial, and a last name. The last name was Bacon. That ought to give you some direction of where we're going. And his first name was Chris, and its middle name uh, initial was P. Chris P. Bacon. 
That'd make me a little bit nervous if I, if I was that pig. <laughs> Crispy bacon. We had all kinds of things out on the farm, but one of the simple pleasures of farm life was the fresh milk. I'll never forget my first experience walking out across the pasture. My grandfather was out in the barn, and I asked grandmother where he was at, and he said he's out in the barn milking the cows. Well, I had yet to see this take place yet, and so I was curious. So I walked out to the barn. The door was wide open. I looked around the door, and there was Grandpa. He was sitting down milking the cow, and the milk was going down into the pail. And I said, hey, Grandpa, what you doing? And he didn't even say anything. He just he just changed the direction of that milk and squeezed it, and it shot right, boom, right straight across my face and across my arm. And I was covered with a, a string of that milk that he had just shot from that cow. And so that was my first experience. Experience. And so he filled up that pail and he would bring the pail in and grandma would take the pail of fresh milk and pour it into a glass jar. And given a little bit of time, you would see some changes take place in that, in that fresh milk. And that milk uh, would begin to separate. And the cream would rise to the top and leave the, the fresh milk at the bottom. So you had the, the milk and then you had the cream. Nowadays, you don't get that. When you go buy a gallon of milk, some of you are big milk drinkers, and you go buy a gallon of milk, you don't have to take it home and shake it all up before you, before you open it up and pour it out to, to mix everything. It's homogenized. Homogenized. Homogenization is simply the breaking down of the cream to the point that it will no longer separate itself from the milk. And that's why it's all blended together now. It's mixed in. It no longer separates when it's left alone. Amen. I, I use this illustration to make this point. There is an all-out onslaught against the church to become homogenized. To beat it, to whip it, to, to, uh, to, to say things about it, to call it judgmental, whatever you want to say, but to whip it up so bad that by the end of the day, you can't tell the church from the world. Emulsification, that's another big $10 word for us this morning. Emulsification happens when two properties that don't normally blend get whipped together to the point that you can't tell where one begins and the other ends. And somehow the Christian world has in great part brought in, bought into the notion that we have to become like the world in order to win the world. And we call it enlightenment, or we call it, you know, uh, whatever we call it, you know, emergent. Here's the deal. That is a lie. The church is not called to make the sinner comfortable. The church is called to separate the sinner from his sin. And there are so many places that think, well, if we just had the right lighting... You know, uh, uh, people are just used to some, if we have better sound equipment or if, if we have the right media or video system, then surely that will bring in more people. But I ask this question, okay, it may bring in more people. Do you, you may be right. You may have a house full of people that come out of the world into the church because you have better lighting and you have better sound and you got the guy that can jam on the guitar and you got the professionals up on the stage and you You've got the pastor that's up there preaching some little pretty three-point uh, message that makes everybody feel good. But what are you bringing them into? Come on. If the music 
moves our body, but doesn't move our spirit, I say we failed. I would rather see somebody be moved by, by, a, by a song to come down to an altar and repent. That gives people a whole lot further along their spiritual walk than sitting back somewhere and ju- juking and jiving with the music because the beat is just right and it gets our body moving but leaves our spirit untouched. God, touch my spirit because my body is not going to heaven. My spirit is what's going to go to heaven one of these days. And if my spirit isn't changed... And and my spirit is a move, then we as a church have failed. God has never called his church to blend in. But over and over, he's called us out. When I say us, I'm not just talking about this congregation. I'm talking about the church. I don't care what the label you put over your church is. I believe there's a lot of people in a lot of different denominations that, that have received truth and they maybe not come out of where they're at just yet, but there are a lot of sincere people that love God and they want to do what, what God wants them to do and they are learning and they are walking forward. Amen. They need a place that is not going to sit back and say, oh, that's good enough. That's good. No, they need a place that's going to say, hey, it doesn't matter what my opinion is. Let's go to the Word of God. It doesn't matter what I think uh, uh, that God is. Let's go to His Word and find out who He says He is. What's His Word tell us we need to do? I'd love to just wrap my arms around everybody and say, come on, we're all going to heaven. We're all going to have a good good old time and all we got to do is say we believe but Jesus himself said he that believeth in me as the scripture has said as the scripture has said well of course he's going to say that because in the beginning was the word (laughs) and the word was with God and the word was God how can he deny his own word He's called us to shine. He's called us to be a separate people. He's called us to be a people who refuse to be a part of unclean things. Paul gave four verbal charges in this letter to the church. He said, be not unequally yoked with unbelievers. Now, don't get the idea. My husband's not saved. I'm going to go home and divorce him today. (laughs) That's That's not what we're talking about here. But if you're not married yet... I want the young people to hear this. They ought to be able to hear this this morning. If you're, if you're not, parents, you're, you listen to me. It is okay to tell them you're not dating him or you're not dating her. And when they ask why, you tell them why. It's because they do not, that you will not be equally yoked. If they really care about going to heaven, if they really care about bringing their children into the fullness of truth, if they really care about their future and their relationship, then they need to find somebody of light, precious faith. All four of these mandates concern separation. Well, I just don't, I just don't believe in all that stuff. Can you imagine? I'm telling you, even in the modern world, just typical daily life, can you imagine if nothing were separated? Separation is an important thing. Yes. Well, I'm going to go grocery shopping this afternoon and, and, uh, pick up stuff I need for lunches and, and the rest of the week and supper and, you know, everything that we need to pick up. And we walk into Walmart and there ain't, there's no shelves. There's no shelves, there's no freezer space, there's no, you know, there's no bread aisle anymore. Everything just piled up in one big mountainous pile right in the middle of the store. And you just go walk your way through and dig out whatever you need for the day. 
I think most of you go home and plant gardens. Like, I ain't going through that again. Why not? It's nothing but chaos. That's crazy. Why don't they put the, you know, I used to be able to just walk down the, I have a tough enough time figuring Walmart out the way that it is. I call her half the time and say, hey, babe, where, you sent me after this. I got no clue where I'm going. I'm walking around like a little lost puppy dog in Walmart. I can't find anything yet. You don't know where anything's at. And I got to call her. She'll say, oh, it's down here. It's on this aisle, about three out, three rows up. And she knows exactly where things are at. Your car breaks down. You need a new valve cover gasket. You walk down to the local car parts dealer, and he says, you say, man, my, my gasket blew. I need a, a valve gasket. You know, and he says, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I see. We got, we got three of those. You're like, okay, uh, how much are they? Oh, they're about, you know, $15 a piece. Uh, okay, I'll take one. Uh, you know, go ahead and give it to me. He said, well, it's right over there in that big pile of stuff out in the middle of the store. Go, don't dig your way through it and figure out where it's at. Can you imagine if nothing were separated, the thing just piled up? Separation brings organization. And organization is the first step towards restoration. I was speaking to somebody this morning. I got a phone call today. And uh, as I was on the phone, uh, this man told me, he said, he made this statement to me. He said, I, I don't know how I've got to be where I am today. He's confused. I don't know how I got here. That's what he said. I, I don't know how I got here. He's bewildered. And I said, well, I said, I, I, don't, I can't sit here and say that I know how you got there specifically but I can tell you how to get back. His mind is so cluttered with all kinds of things that are going on in his mind, but the Bible tells us that God, the God that we serve, is not the author of confusion. So if there's a lot of confusion going on, it's not God's fault. God is the answer. And the first step towards getting God back into our life is to get organized enough to where we put the first thing first. And God said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these other things will then be added to you. So the very first part of getting our life in line and organized is to put first things first. Get our priorities straight. God said, once you put me first, you get all the other idols out of your life, you move the confusion away, and you can see where your answer is really at, then we can begin to draw things back in and put them in place. And we can reestablish your comings and your goings. Amen. It's not about being cruel or demanding. A lot of people say that. Well, they just, that guy, that, he just stands up there and he points his finger and tells everybody the way that they got to live and exactly what they got to do. I'm telling you what the Word of God says. What you do with it is up to you. But on the day of judgment or when we get to heaven, I'm not going to stand there and have a single person point their finger at me and say, why didn't you tell me? Because God has called us to preach His Word. Amen. I want to preach it. And I want people to be able to receive it because it is the thing that has transforming power in our lives. Yes. Amen. God just wants to set some boundaries in our life so that He can begin to put us back together again.
If there were no boundaries, the ocean would overflow the lands. And, you know, God set all that in motion. When He began to do creation, He began to bring order. He began to bring order by establishing boundaries. The waters went where they were supposed to go. The land went where it was supposed to go. The waters separated and some of it went up there and God keeps it all there. He put the moon over here. He put the sun over here. He scattered the stars in space. And last I knew, they're still where they're supposed to be every single night when we go out there. He established order because He set boundaries. Paul uses this analogy of an ox and a mule. He says, you don't use an ox and a mule to plow the field together. You do that, you're just going to wind up having trouble. They don't, they don't go. To, what's two sayings? He's as strong as an ox. Can I feel your muscles, Steve? Ooh, strong as an ox. <laughs> strong as an ox. I've seen some of these guys in the gym. Strong. Tom Lehan, man, I don't know how old you are, Tom, and I'm not going to say it, but, uh, but I, I, I would not want to go up against him. I don't care if he is my, my elder by maybe 15 years or 20 years. Uh, strong as an ox. Just strong as an ox. And we also have another one about mules. He's as stubborn as a mule, right? So we've got two animals here. Both of them have strength, but one of them is very stubborn. Both is One is willing to do the job that it's called to do, and the other is known for digging in its heels. And Paul says, you don't try to plow the field with an ox and a mule put together. What are you going to do? You're going to have one that's trying to do the work and getting the job done and trying to plow, and you're going to have the old mule standing there saying, I ain't going nowhere, and you can't make me. You can beat me. You can berate me. You can do whatever you want to with me, but I'm going to sit here and I'm going to dig in my heels. And what do you have when you have that? You have, you have a plow that is plowing in circles. And some people wonder why their life keeps coming around to the same spot over and over and over again. It's because you're trying to live for God in one hand and you're trying to live for the world in the other hand. One is as strong as an ox in your life, but the other part of, is stubborn and doesn't want to move. And you find yourself just living a life going nowhere but in circles. Got to have our mind made up. That's why we teach our young people, don't get mixed up with some guy or some girl just because they're handsome or they're cute. Why? Because you're, you're going to be yoked together. You're going to be yoked together. One's going to want to live for God and the other's going to say, I don't see the importance of it. And then you're going to have children. Those children are going to be raised with one parent saying, you need to serve God. This is important. We need to you know, get you to Sunday school. And the other one's going to say, I want to take them fishing today i wanted to do the, i wanted to do anything but church and you're going to you're going to live a life going in circles seek you first last week's wedding um brother anthony cahoon was married to sister vanessa beautiful wedding outdoor wedding and um it, it's a perfect example of a young man that didn't try to outrun god you know anytime somebody ever tries to outrun god they just set themselves up for trouble just ask Abraham. 
Well, God, I know you promised me a child, but I'm going to do things my own way. I'm, I'm going to rush this process along. And what happened? We got, we got problems after problems after problems. Because people try to rush God. Brother Anthony, he didn't try to outrun God, didn't try to get ahead of God. He, he didn't wait that long to get married because nobody ever showed any interest. He's a good-looking young man. It's not that he couldn't find a girlfriend. Nobody wanted him. As a matter of fact, as his pastor, I knew of several times where, you know, the temptation was, was thrown out to him, you know. And I saw a couple of pictures, and they, they were pretty girls. He would come to me, and, you know, his, his, there was a wrestling going on a little bit, you know. Well, you know, what if, what if I brought him to church? What if I, I said, bring him to church, but don't, don't even start a, any kind of a romantic relationship whatsoever until they are in church and have lived for God for a while and established themselves. So he just, he'd back away and I would feel bad for him. I prayed for that young man time after time because, uh, you know, I, I just knew how much in my younger years I wanted to be married. I, I didn't want to be alone. And, and, and he wasn't 18 or 19. He was reaching his older 20s, which is still not that old. But, you know, you start wondering. I was like, God, please, you know, just look where he's at. Send him the right one. He didn't wait that long to get married because nobody showed interest. He waited that long because he wasn't willing to settle for a relationship that would just run in circles. There are some substances that simply aren't intended to mix together. They're so diverse in nature that compatibility is impossible. Oil and water, well, they're just like oil and water. What, what's people saying? They just, they just don't blend. But you can actually take oil and water and you can, you can shake them together and you can mix them and whip them and put them together. And, and, and even though they separate from each other eventually, what happens is they ruin the intended purpose that each was created for. That even though they separate the properties of both have been diverted from what they were intended to do originally. We don't want to lose our purpose as Christians and we don't want to lose our value as, as a lighthouse to our community. And so I've come to say this, there are just some things that we ought not to touch, some things that you ought not to be a part of. Paul said that he was separated unto the gospel. Yes. We've not just been called out, but we've been called unto. We've been called for a purpose. Would you stand with me today? You can go to the store and you can pick up a box of cocoa and a bag of flour and get the dozen eggs and the milk that you need and you can bring all those ingredients home you separate them from their 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 original owner you separate them from the previous owner you didn't own them until you purchased them at the counter at, at the local grocery store up until then the grocer still owned that product 
but you purchased them and you bought them and you buy the eggs, the flour, the cocoa and the flour and, and you, you separate them from something and you bring them home, but not just to set in your cupboard or just to put in your refrigerator box. You don't separate them from something just to sit there. You separate them unto something. In other words, you take the cocoa, the flour, the milk, the eggs, and you begin to blend them together and you create a mixture that when you put it in the pan into the oven, comes out as a wonderful cake for your family. In other words, you took them from its previous owner, not just so that you could own them, but so that you could use them for a purpose. We've been called out, separated, and God separates His church, not just so that you'll be weird or you'll be different or you'll stand out or the world won't accept you and everybody's going to hate you. That's not why God separates the church from the world. God separates the church from the world because the world needs a church. The world needs something different than what it presently has. The world needs a refuge, a place. Don't you want to be that place today?